Welcome to the Adoption Chat. I'm Leah and I'm a birth mom. And I'm Mallory. I am a partial adoptee. The Adoption Chat is a place where you will find real stories, tools, and education to help you navigate your own adoption experience no matter what side of the triad you sit on. We are here to challenge and equip you to walk this lifetime journey well. We believe that all sides of the triad have great insight to share and we are here to chat about it. Welcome back to another chat about adoption. Today we are diving into a topic you probably haven't heard before, partial adoption. Mallory will be sharing her story with us. So Mallory, let's start from the very beginning. Will you share with us your adoption story? Yes, um, that's kind of a loaded question (laughs) because there's many different rabbit holes I could go down. Um, But just in a nutshell, my mom had me when she was 15. Obviously, she wasn't married at the time, um, being 15, and my biological father was in and out of the picture for the first about three years. Um, He would come and go, wasn't really involved, but was there enough, I guess, to have a little bit of a presence. My mom started dating another guy when I was 18 months old, and immediately he was in the picture all the time. And I actually started calling him dad before my parents eventually got married. So they eventually got married when I was three. And my biological father at the time had already gotten another girl pregnant. He had really distanced himself at that point and did not want to be in the picture. So he signed away his legal parental rights. Um, Just like any relinquishment would happen, whether it was a birth mom, a birth father. Um, And then at that point, the guy that my mom was dating, who I now obviously call dad because he's the father in my life, um, they got married. And he legally adopted me at that point. And so that was kind of the initial start to my adoption story. It's obviously different than when a birth mom um, and a birth father relinquish at the time of infancy um, or birth. Mine started when I was about three. And so I knew growing up that I was adopted. That was never hidden from me. Um, I knew that my dad adopted me and a little bit about that story of the initial few years. But what I did not know was that I also had a brother, um, which I found out when I was about 18, 19 years old. And how difficult of a life that my biological father lived. He was, um, he was pretty dangerous. There was a lot of in and out of jail, drug charges, um, holding his wife hostage in a the house. There was just a lot of unsafe and unrest in that home environment. And so when I was 18 or 19 years old, I met my half-brother um, by coincidence because, again, I didn't know who he was. And I met him at a place that I worked. And he didn't tell me that he was my brother. He walked in and told one of the staff members and they pulled me aside later after he had left and let me know. And then about a week later, I met him in person. So that was a whirlwind of a time. I did not know my biological father still at that point though. So I created a relationship with my half brother for about six months 
I would meet up with him for dinner or lunch, or we would just hang out and try and build some sort of um, semblance of a relationship, which is really difficult when you've spent years and years and years apart. Um, the biology there is there, but the relationship isn't. And so he was two years younger than me. So I, I was 18 because he was 16 and his mom at a local restaurant. So we would go there a few times a week and have dinner or just hang out there. And so I got to know her, um, really well as well but I did still did not know my biological father. So after about the six month mark, there was a time where we were having dinner at the restaurant and my brother and his mom did not know that my biological father was coming by. He was picking up like car keys or something. And then my biological father sh showed up and he did not know I was there. He had known that my brother and his mom were meeting with me um, over that course of six months and having relationship, but he did not know that I was there that night. And so he pulled up, he walked in and it was that, I don't know how to describe it, but it was that moment of like your heart completely dropping into your stomach, feeling like you're going to throw up because you're facing the other side of your DNA. You're, you're looking at the, the other person who helped create you. And it is, it is devastating, it is nerve wracking, and it is, it also is like a piece of you just clicks at the same time. And so he turned around and walked out. He, I don't think he knew how to process or what was going on for him. And so um, I followed him. I was like, heck, this is my chance. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever have another chance to meet him. And so I walked out after him because I needed answers. And we sat on the curb for, I don't know how long, an hour, two hours. I'm not sure. And I probably drilled him a little bit too much with questions, but I had a lot of, a lot of things I wanted to ask. And we cried and we laughed and I learned a little bit about his family and I got some of the answers I needed. And that was kind of the start of the surface level, what turned out to be a surface level relationship with him. So over the course of about the next year, after that six month mark, the next year, we would meet up again for dinner, um, things like that. I never was comfortable going to their house just because I had known his history with drugs and the just the unsafety of things. And I just, he wasn't using at that point. He wasn't unsafe at that point from what I knew, but I just, I didn't want to cross that line. And so we would have Christmas time or holiday time, um, baking cookies at, um, my brother's mom's restaurant and, and we would celebrate in our own way, I guess. And then once it kind of hit that year mark, I realized the depth of the relationship wasn't going anywhere. He, due to his drug use, he really struggled with the relationship. I really kind of saw him in a 16-year-old mindset versus the age he was at that point. And the person that was really driving the relationship of the whole family unit on that side was his, his fiance, which was his ex-wife. And that's a whole nother story. It's my brother's mom. <laughs> um, but 
she was really the driving force of that relationship. My brother really struggled um, with connection. We struggled with that relationship connection because there was just so much water under the bridge at that point. He had grown up in a completely different home than I had, completely different lifestyle. And there was just a lot of difficulty in that in-depth connection. So I was dating my now husband at that point and we talked about, okay, what does this look like if we get married? What does this look like if we have kids and things like that? Do we want what the relationship looked like at that point to continue? Um, Do we want to explain those things to our children? Um, Really, do we want to try? Because there was just so much, there was just so much there, so many complexities. And we decided at that point that it probably wasn't a good idea to continue a relationship. And so I cut off contact at that point Um, I had had the reunion time, but I had just, with adoption, there's so many, there's so many emotions, there's so many people involved, there's so many um, complexities, and it, it really showed me that DNA and biology doesn't automatically require a relationship, and so he has reached out maybe once or twice since then. And for me, that really showed kind of where he was at in, in that process. Um, so we live five minutes from each other. We always have. Um, and one of my biggest fears is running into him at the grocery store, honestly, because now I have a three-year-old son and the last thing I want to do is run into him or his wife or my brother at the grocery store, one of the simplest places, I'm always looking over my shoulder. I'm always wondering, am I gonna come around the end of the aisle and they're gonna be standing there? And it's not a good feeling. So that's kind of where we are right now in our relationship, um, which is kind of nothing. (laughs) But that's a bit about my very unique adoption story. Yes, it's definitely unique. It's um, one that, I wasn't super familiar with, and it's just not talked about as much or thought about as an actual adoption. Um, It's just, it's, it becomes kind of formed into a blended family and just kind of covered over in in that way. Um, So I'm, you know, really interested to hear more of, you know, this is why you call yourself a partial adoptee. And what is that? How do you, how do you identify in that? Yeah. So, Partial adoptee really kind of defines for me what my adoption looks like. Um, I'm not a full adoptee, but I I have experienced adoption, and this is my story. And partial obviously means half, and so that's that's kind of why that term defines my story, and why I use that in sharing my story because there are many many partial adoptees out there. I've ran into them at adoption conferences. They're now, you know, hopeful adoptive parents and they've heard my story and came up to me crying going, oh my gosh, you just described my story as well. And, and now I can kind of have freedom in, in the healing process. So partial adoption isn't something that you hear about often, but there are a lot of people out there who, um, identify with that and, I'm happy to share my story so that others can, can have that connection. 
I don't know. I feel like in life, we like to think things are really black and white, but in reality, there's a whole lot of gray. And we've learned that so much being in the adoption community, just in general. Um, there's a whole lot of gray in life and adoption. Um, if we would try to look at this in a black and white aspect, um, I guess it would be defined as more of a step parent adoption. That's the legal terminology that is used in the court system. But this, but this is really one of those gray areas. My dad, the one who adopted me, he has always been my dad. He's not a step parent. He doesn't co-parent with my biological father. Um, he's not just married to my mom. He's fully taken on that father role. He legally went through the process of signing adoption paperwork. Um, and so he's, he's my dad. He's my adopted dad. Um, so sometimes to adequately explain who we are or why we or where we come from as partial adoptees, we have to reevaluate and adjust some of the things we put in place as normal. That happens in the adoption community all the time. We have to reevaluate terminology we use. We have to reevaluate the way we go through processes. Um, and that includes the language we use. That includes, you know, giving up to place. It's a simple change in terminology, but it makes all the difference. And for me, that's really kind of the defining moment here of step-parent adoption does not define what my adoption looks like. Partial adoption defines what my adoption looks like. And over time, society moves on and progresses with language. We evolve, we adapt, and the adoption com community is no different. Sometimes we have to challenge the status quo and I mean, I'm a redhead. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not above challenging the status quo. And I think it's really good to adapt and change our minds when it comes to language. So what are the similarities that you feel like you have to a full adoptee and what is different? Um, so we share an art overarching connection with emotions of the complex grief and the trauma and the anger, resentment, loss, and just so many other things, joy, um, gratefulness, blessing. I mean, there's just so many words that we could attribute to um, really similar emotions, but there are so many different types of loss in the world and each person's grief is so personal and individual and individualized and no person's grief is the same. So I think it's really important to remember that, you know, one adoptee to another adoptee, their grief and how they've processed, totally different. One birth mom to another birth mom, adoptive parent to adoptive parent. It's just, it's so personalized to that individual story. So while we share a lot of these same emotions, there are these tiny threads that weave us together. Um, it's not the same for anyone. So we have to remember that in adoption, across the board. Um, I don't think we can categorize people groups of the triad um, when it comes to these emotions. Obviously we have adoptee, birth parent, adoptive parent, but we can't, we can't categorize their grief. We can't um, put it all in a bubble. They, we're all different and we're all at different stages of processing that. Yeah, you said that list of like complex grief and trauma and anger. And I'm like, hey, that's me too. And that's birth mom's story too. Like my story is drastically different than other birth moms. And, you know, maybe someone who had a closed adoption or 
reunited or um, maybe it was closed for halfway through and then it opened. Like there's so many different varieties of what it looks like for each person. And I think that absolutely fits here too. And I think all those emotions fit within the adoption triad for everyone to some degree and some, um, you know, where they are in their journey, like you said. So, yeah. Um, um, something I heard recently was the sneakiness of grief is people tend to think that they're going to improve in a linear upward fashion over time and that it won't come in waves. And that is, grief is so much more than that. We talk about the grief cycle and our woven together courses and the education we do. And, and it's a cycle and you can jump from one point of the cycle to another. It's, it's never ending. It's a never ending thing when it comes to adoption. Yeah. Gray described it as like stair steps. So like sometimes you're up on the eighth one, sometimes you're down on the fifth one or whatever number it is, but it's like, it's a back and forth up and down you know, triggers can make you go to this phase or this phase. And so it's, yeah, it's not a linear process um, for anybody. So I think that absolutely applies to your story as well as unique it is um, in the public platform of sharing your story. Um, And hopefully it helps other people, you know, be comfortable to come out and, and share their version of what adoption looks like for them. Yeah, I hope so. So you touched a little bit on this before, but did you ever reunite with your birth father's side of the family since that point of cutoff a few years ago? Um, No. So I reunited obviously with him and um, my brother, um, but I never met any of his side of the family. So he would share a little bit about them. He shared some photos with me. Um, They live in Kentucky. So it wasn't, it wasn't a local option to just go hang out with grandpa, you know, um, and grandma and his story growing up was a very complex one as well. Um, it's, it's, you know, pretty common for, for birth parents to come from difficult upbringings as well. Um, you see that in adoption, you see it in foster care, you, you see it in a lot of different generational um, trauma environments. And so for him, he grew up in a very difficult upbringing. Um, and I, I don't know everything that was there. But as far as meeting biological family members from his side, I have not been able to do that. So what is your relationship like now? Um, I know that you've you know, pretty much shut things off, but is there any kind of contact with your half brother or anything like that? Um, I guess this is where social media comes into play and it can be a good thing, um, at least for our situation. So my biological brother, my half brother, he's on, we connect over social media. So he has a son who's about two months older than my son. And we, we are able to watch each other from afar at that point, kind of make sure everybody's okay and see kind of how life's progressing for each other. But that's really the only contact I have with any of them at this point. Yeah. I know as a parent, sometimes you have to put up healthy boundaries and um, I think social media can be a good, good kind of compromise in that sense, um, but not have to fully commit into everything if you're not comfortable with that. So I think it, it shows, you know, anybody listening that 
sometimes you have to do that and that's okay. Um, yeah, I think, I think for, um, adoption, um, whether it's adoptees, birth parents, whoever, adoptive parents, we feel like we have to always be engaged with the other side of the triads. Um, and that doesn't fit everybody's story, circumstances, what they're going through. There's seasons of quiet. There's lifetimes of quiet. There's seasons and lifetimes of complete openness. I mean, I, that just goes to show the individual side of adoption. Um, and open adoption for one person can look totally different for another person, as well as closed adoption. I know many adoptees who grew up with completely closed adoptions, no, um, no information at all. And I also know people who started out with initially some sort of openness, but now it's closed and they don't see any foreseeable future of that being open. And so right now they're going through a season of closed. And so I don't think, again, we can put even the level of openness into a box when it comes to adoption. Open adoption, semi-open, closed can look so different for so many people and all sides of the triad. Um, openness to an adoptive parent and then to the birth parent and then to the adoptee and that's one triad unit can feel and look so different. So I think we just have to be really conscious that everybody's story is their own and how they share it is how they share it. So true. We've, I mean, we've had contact with multiple people within an, an adoption, you know, personal triad, and it can just have different perspectives and different opinions and, and just how they perceive things and how it's going, the success quote rate of it or not, or the happiness within it. So um, it's so complex. <laughs> Absolutely. So how has it been in the adoption community? Do you feel like you have a space with your story? Mm, that's another loaded question. <laughs> um, initially, yes, um, I did. I think it had to do with the fact that I was more of a place of listening at that point. I would share my story here and there, but some pieces of my story. Um, but the more vocal I got and the more I shared and the more I was just here's my story, <laughs> take it or leave it. Um, I would say a lot of recent events, no. I, I, there's not really a space for us, which is unfortunate. Um, I honestly feel like I had to, to elbow, elbow my way in um, recently, and that isn't a fun feeling to have for anybody. Um, being that everyone's grief and loss is different, despite some of the commonalities that we all share, um, we have to be careful as a community to not impart our own experiences and compare them to others and think that if we don't align, they are somehow invalid. Um, we talk all the time, just as a community as a whole, like you have a seat at the table. That's a common phrase that you hear in the community. And oftentimes I've been like, do I, do I really though? Um, are you saying that? for those that just kind of fit your mold or are you saying that for everybody? Um, and so that's been a really recent thing kind of tumbling through my head. Um, I don't think we should dictate someone's experience. So it fits what you think it should. And I think that has to do with just being more comfortable as a community to accept that 
all of our stories are different and all types of adoptions are different. You know, we have, we're going to be talking about this in November for our adoption awareness month. When we sat down and really started writing down the different types of adoption and different roles of adoption, it was this huge mile long list. And people, people focus so much in the adoption community on mostly domestic infant adoption. And so I think we get stuck in this mindset of that's adoption, whereas there are so many, uh, that's a pinpoint in the adoption community. That's one small pinpoint. And there's so much um, that we have to talk about outside of that. There's so many other adoption scenarios. There's so many other uh, people to consider. And so right now I don't feel like I have a place, but I'll make a place. Well, and you have, you mentioned earlier, there are other people who feel like you do and they've, um, you know, almost been afraid to step out and say anything because they feel like it's invalid. Um, so, and you know, can you talk a little bit about that too, of have you had other people reach out sharing a similar story and feelings as you? Yeah. I mean, like I mentioned before, I've had people come up to me at conferences. I've had people in our DMs um, messaging me. It, in just conversations with others, but a lot of them are afraid to share their story. A lot of them feel like, and, and honestly, they saw what happened to me. And so they're like, I don't want that to happen. And they would come into my DMs and be like, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for sharing. But I'm not about to also do that and get, get dragged through the ringer, which I, I, I get, I, I wouldn't either. So um, it's sad that we've kind of hush aside of adoption that could be really beneficial in sharing their story for themselves, but also for the community to see that once again, there's another side that is really good to hear and um, has a seat at the table is valid is, is um, sharing their own adoption journey in their own way. And that is a great a great thing for us to learn from as individuals and as a community. So, um, yes, I've had people reach out to me. I've met people in person online. Um, and it's been great. I love hearing other people's stories and everybody, everybody feels differently about it. Um, just like everybody feels differently about their own adoption experience in the adoption community. So, Last question. How can the adoption community become more welcoming to others who have stories that don't fit that mold? Um, I would say as a community, we have to grow and adapt. Like we, we push and push and push and push and talk about education all the time. We talk about phrasing changes. We talk about reform and, and we're willing to adjust and adapt to those things. So I think we really need to expand our mind and go, we have other places we need to adapt to. Um, and we have to understand that we don't have it all figured out. As a community, we don't. And, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with not having it figured out. It, it's actually a good thing because it offers us room to, for growth and to unite. Um, it's going to constantly be changing. Look at our world. We're constantly changing in, in so many ways. Um, so some of our long-held beliefs are going to be challenged. They, they just are. That happens in our faith. Um, if we're talking just about that alone, um, we're going to have to learn to accept stories that we don't always feel fit the mold or what we think the mold should look like. And most importantly, we can't compare losses. Um, we can't 
compare experiences because that is what really creates division. If we look at the somebody's story through the lens of our own story, we're automatically comparing our experiences, our losses, saying um, our experience or our loss is greater than or less than, or we have to look at it through a completely neutral filter. Um, and that all experiences and loss are valid and all experience and loss is unique to that individual person. We've talked about that all throughout this podcast. We, we really have a lot of work to do in that arena of um, inclusion, acceptance, and being willing to accept that other people's stories are different than our own. Absolutely. I can definitely relate to that as a birth mom too. Um, just comparing my story to others and like, or feeling guilt because of my story or, you know, just comparing that loss of like, well, mine's not as great as hers or, um, so yeah, just having empathy, I think, and just putting, just trying to think through what would it be like in their shoes and that in creating the validity in that, um, and just making space for all the experience and feelings. So, well, thank you so much, Mallory, for, sharing your story with us. I have known you for, you know, good two years now, but I learned so much in this and learned more details about your story. And I so appreciate you being vulnerable with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for letting me have this opportunity to share. And I hope it helps other people understand that those of us who sit in a different but parallel space in the adoption community are still here. Um, and I hope it encourages other partial adoptees to share their stories proudly without shame. Yeah. Well, next episode, we will be talking about birth mom support and reunification after close adoption. And we'll chat with you next time. Bye.